I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch a movie where the characters Manco and El Indio are both played by white guys. Okay, to clarify, the man with no name is not is, is supposed no, to be not, a white No, he's guy. not. Yeah. Yeah, El, El Indio is definitely an Italian guy that they uh, added a little um, uh, artificial pigment to. Little spikes. That's something we've found a lot when we've uh, been watching uh, these movies, because a lot of them are set in Mexico or the Mexican Revolution. And uh, yeah. I actually had the very embarrassing experience while I was watching The Great Silence, and I was like, oh, is this just a very, uh, a very, uh, um, you know, tan Italian woman? And I was like, oh, finally, they actually cast a black woman for a black role. Oh, thank God. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice when they do that. And then sometimes, like in this movie, they have, like, an actual, uh, you know, uh, Asian in the movie. And they use <laughs> yeah. it for jokes. So it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It's Re- like when I say Representation that in, the, in the 60s, 70s, and, you know, definitely before that was very much sometimes like uh, uh, you, you literally cannot have your cake and you also don't want to eat it. Uh, but where, where we love to watch for a movie podcast, we pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if you remember, we can compare and contrast. And that's easy this month. We're not just going to compare and contrast them to uh, the movies we're talking about. Peter and I have gone hog wild. Uh, wild for those hogs. We're we are wild, wild hogs. We're, we're Wild hogs can't be broken. Old uh, dogs and wild hogs. That's what we're doing this month. Tim Allen. Tim Allen. Martin Lawrence. John Travolta. Uh, and of course, the one that everyone remembers the most, William H. Macy. He is the definition of a wild hog. He is the definition of, especially at the time the movie came out, should we get a good actor? Just one. Just I mean, a he, good To actor. clarify, um, <laughs> three out of four of them have committed felonies. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Tim Allen famously turned in his... Uh, is a snitch yeah to, to avoid his own uh dealing uh and now of course he's a law and order republican uh and <laughs> That's the, that is the most classic boomer thing like pull up the drawbridge i'm already i've already broken to the castle yeah i sold cocaine for violent drug dealers and snitched out my friends for personal gain but i was you know polite about it <laughs> <laughs> But I was white about it. But I didn't. I didn't complain about uh, Doctor Seuss books of the time. 
I was, you know, I was generally equally racist to everyone else at the time. And so, <laughs> and so, no, you know, I think that's being polite. Being polite is not to be less racist than the people you're around because then they, they might feel bad. Um, so yeah, he was a good Michigander. And then, uh, John, what, what felony did John Travolta commit besides the felony of, uh, uh dance you know, movies? I guess, I guess both John Travolta and Martin Lawrence, uh, have, uh, uh, have, have arguably never been charged with a felony. It's just that they're both sex creep. I mean, we have no idea the extent of John Travolta's sex creepiness, but yeah, I, I'm saying they've, n- they've not been charged with felony. Got it. I'm not uh, saying they haven't committed to them. I mean, William H. Macy's wife committed a felony. Yeah. But you're telling me he didn't meet with the uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, why? Why are all the husbands getting off in this? Was this? This seems like uh, what, no one told. No one told. Classic William American H- marriage. The the husbands get off, but the wives don't. You know what I mean? That was explicitly true. True in the movie Pleasantville, <laughs> starring <laughs> William H Macy. <laughs> oh, but Wait, we, hold on. Did we, color make her come? Oh, all over. <laughs> Shit, like. Like, she came so hard on that movie, the tree outside exploded <laughs> in in red flames. And I want to be clear, like, if you come so hard that the, the a tree 10 to 30 yards away from you explodes, that is a good orgasm. However, if that tree explodes in color in a colorless world, I mean, I that's science defying it's like if you in this universe i think that's the equivalent of you came so hard uh, a tree exploded and also went back in time like <laughs> like this this tree is much smaller suddenly and not from the fire but hey, it wasn't this young. neighborhood one pine road now it's no pine road yeah so she came pretty hard in that movie and william h macy as far as we know never did uh <laughs> What he has fuck? a tantric method. We didn't it's, even it's get really, to the movie title. It is just a it's a treat for us and no one else when it's just the two of us, Peter. Um, we can make it if we try. What? Nothing going. <laughs> uh but we're doing uh we're we're what month is this? This is uh we, we tried a uh a title last week. We're gonna try another one. And we'll see what sticks for all of our marketing and branding. And that is we'll go with uh this is the the we the love in the watch month where we cover uh four of the westerns by uh sergio leon uh and <laughs> your italian is just getting almost a call back to last episode uh but we're doing yeah fistful of dollars for a few dollars more which we're covering today and then we'll be doing the good the bad and the ugly and then wrapping it up with once upon a time in the west and i think it makes place uh, it makes place it makes sense to start uh, at something that Peter and I have been experiencing since we recorded last. So we we last recorded uh, for us uh, because we did not come hard at all lately. Time has been flowing normally for us. But it's been about a week and a half since we recorded our Fistful of Dollars episode, which is a lot of fun. I had mentioned on that episode that I thought it would be fun to also watch some of the other spaghetti westerns I had never seen. I'd seen a few besides the Leone movies. Um, but you know, there was a lot on my watch list that I'd always meant to get to as long as I'm having fun with this. Um, this is a great time to watch it. Uh, and Django especially made a lot of sense just because Django is like an unofficial remake of Fistful of Dollars in the same way Fistful of Dollars is an, 
uh, on uh, unsanctioned remake of of Yojimbo. This makes uh, me want to wish we had done a two month period where we did like Yojimbo, then Fistful of Dollars, then Django, and then like. And then they're like the mercenary alongside Duck You Sucker. Like, do, do like other Corbucci and other like spaghetti westerns mixed in with the Leones. In retrospect, especially with what we're planning for this summer, I think I think when we we, we finalized our July August double month, um, I think we locked into something that's going to make it a lot of fun for how we cover all those movies. It's still a secret, but I agree with you. I think that concept would have been uh, a lot of fun. I would still. I mean, I, there's you know. There's other Leones. I'd, I want to do Ducky Sucker at some point. I, I definitely think we'll have a chance to revisit this at some point. And the fact that we're already talking about how we can do more movies and we're on our second week of this month is definitely because Peter and I have gone a little uh, spaghetti western crazy. Now, I know what you're thinking. The two guys who watched between the two of them 182 horror movies in a 31-day time span and then watched about uh, 100 Christmas movies uh, over the month of December? These two got a little bit into something that they were enjoying. I know. Calm down. It'll be fine. But we just we did start like comparing lists and watching other spaghetti less westerns. I've picked up a few on Blu-ray because I want to watch them on my projector that I've been meaning to watch. They're either I've started watching or coming in the mail. Peter uh, subscribed to a streaming service that I am ninety five percent sure is made up but he's insisted that he's watched a couple movies on there <laughs> uh yeah i subscribed to night flight just because they had a small smattering of uh, spaghetti westerns and i gotta say uh we might edit, edit this out but um the selection on night flight is the most insane i've ever seen on any uh, streaming service it's like music documentaries the old tv blocks from when the show was on with all these like performances and shit uh they've got a severin and a blue underground seg section like it is an insane streaming service i will not be subscribing it beyond this month but (laughs) it's uh because it's just i'm not that cool anymore where i'm like i want to see the most underground thing you have i'm like i want to dabble in the underground yeah just just dab as the kids say um i have to watch some normal movies too i get that because one of the problems with these movies is that and we, you know, we, we're not definitely not quality purists. We've watched a lot of movies that we've enjoyed um, that look like shit. But occasionally you just end up running across a movie that looks like complete shit. And, uh, you know, HD TVs and 4K TVs do not help them look less like shit. It's like you're watching on a 19-inch, like, fucking tube TV. And it's like, well, everything I watch basically looks like garbage. So how can I tell? Uh, the ceiling is just so low. Yeah. Um that, like, a lot of these movies have not really been remastered. I, I think we mentioned it last week, but really even just a lot of these movies are completely unavailable. Uh, I was reading that they basically made about 500 spaghetti westerns, which is a, quite a lot. Uh, I mean, according to my letterbox, that doesn't, for some reason, that does not feel like a lot of movies, Peter. And then, like, if you look at how many movies, according to Letterbox, I've ever seen in my lifetime, individual movies, it's like 4,100. And it's like, oh, maybe 500 is a ton. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> Only about, like, 60 or so, 70, um, ever came over to the United States in any capacity. So, like, there's actually not that many that, that are available to watch. And then I'm sure at some point we would start, you know, after we watch 20, 30, or 40, we'd probably start getting down into stuff that's like, yeah, I'm not having as much fun anymore. But that is what's happened. Peter and I, I think, have watched... Um, 
you know, like five or six additional ones. What what did you end up watching? Since we um, I watched Day of Anger, which is also starring Lee Van Cleef, which is very fun, um, which is directed by someone that you, uh, a movie you watched, uh, Tonino Valerie. Um, well, technically, according to a lot of things I'm reading, uh, Sergio Leone uh, directed the movie that I've, I'm watching. <laughs> um, and uh, that one has uh, is co-starring Lee Van Cleef. It's very cool, very surprising, sort of like uh, Descent into Immorality kind of tale. Um, and then, um, cause all these movies are kind of about like anti-heroes and bad people. It was kind of interesting to watch something about like somebody becoming one of those anti-heroes. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Like basically being under the wing of Lee, Lee Van Cleef, who's like, I'm going to show you how to be a real asshole. <laughs> um, and then, um, I also watched, uh, The Great Silence by Sergio Corbucci. Great. Um, who's one of the more famous names in the genre. Uh, as we just mentioned, Django is probably his most famous movie. Um, famous largely because of Tarantino, I would imagine, because of Django Unchained and also getting name dropped in Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood. I watched The Mercenary as well. So I watched two Corbucci movies and both were like fantastic, amazing. Great Silence is a um, snow western. Yeah, Great Silence is so good and sad. (laughs) Yeah, Great Silence is so tragic. And it's one of those movies where you're just like, oh, yeah. Stories aren't supposed to end positively. If these stories had ended positively, um, then we would have a lot more Native American people alive and there'd be a lot more people of color that didn't die in slavery. I got it. Um, yeah. So uh, Great Silence is amazing. Uh, but Klaus Kinski is the villain. <laughs> so between those two Slash movies, hero. I am. I, this is the first time I think doing excessive research for the show has hurt me because I watched for a few dollars more, and then we put off recording for some personal stuff. And then I was like, oh, I can sneak well, in more by spaghetti two westerns. I can sneak in more spaghetti westerns to, like, you know, get yeah. get a little bit more of a feel for the genre. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, do you remember when Klaus can't... No, different. Yeah, I'm having... <laughs> well, as you know, uh, I'm having the exact same problem. So I've... Since, since after watching uh, for a few dollars more, I watched... I decided to follow pair that with Death Rides a Horse, which is... <laughs> fantastic i loved it i tried to watch it it is very much it's lee van cleef who uh is an old wise uh killer who like makes who teams up with kind of a younger hotshot right to end up teaming up uh first he he doesn't want to team up and then they ultimately team up and there's some uh surprise familial relationships that kind of reveal themselves to the end and i'll tell you what if i say a scene that's not in for a few dollars more there's a chance it's because i've accidentally made the scene for death rides a horse just because we watch different movies i can just be like that scene isn't in any of the movies that i've seen (laughs) yeah it's good to yeah it's good to, to, to have this check because they're similar enough and i watched them back to back i'm like uh i can easily get something confused and then I followed that with a bullet for the general, which is fantastic. It's uh, probably the best one I watched besides the Leone so far. That one, Peter, stars uh, someone you may have heard of named Klaus Kinski, who uh, is in that movie. And uh, he Famous plays... maniac? He made movies? Fam- famous. Uh, they let him be in movies? <laughs> famous sadistic monster. Klaus Kinski is in that movie. I'm only familiar with him as a monster. <laughs> Uh, and as you should, but he is in the movie and he plays a former <laughs> priest who's also murdering everyone. Um, uh, and then, you know, who else is in that movie? Good casting. Uh, you know, who else is in that movie? So you have Klaus Kinski, uh, a guy named, uh, Gian Maria Valente. 
who is in <laughs> a movie called uh, For a Few Dollars More and also in A Fistful of Dollars. So the two – and then and then I watched um, uh, most of – I have to finish it. Uh, My Name is Nobody, which is the one which I'm really enjoying. At least that has Peter Fonda. I'm glad I didn't watch that. Uh, and Terrence Fisher, uh, but it's so funny. Like these people just keep re- like Kinski, Van Cleef, Valente. Like they they all just show up in all these movies, and so and you know they have a lot of similar similar plot points. So uh, it's really uh, it's really easy to be like, wait, which 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 dubbed like you kind of remember like was the dubbed version of Kinski? Did he sound like Steve Buscemi or did he sound like? Was he speaking Italian? <laughs> and it's 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 actually like let's while we're talking about the actors and the commonality between them, it's kind of funny because like I was like, oh man, Klaus Kinski must have been a nightmare on set. I couldn't find anything about that. Like it seems like Klaus Kinski was actually a little bit somewhat professional in the spaghetti western era of his his career, at least you know on set. Yeah, a like, lot of it's sixties, right? So it's before, yeah, it's before like he starts working with Herzog in the seventies, or at the very least, you know. I get the sense from there really isn't that much behind the scenes information. And I, I don't know if it's because they were just shot really quickly for not a lot of budget or if just like, you know, it wasn't really like it's 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 Italian independent cinema almost. Right. Like the, maybe there just wasn't there wasn't a stenographer there like Kinski could have been very Kinski ish and there could have been 20 people that were worse than him. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just a weird time. So one thing that I, I found out while trying to figure out if Kinski was an asshole was apparently Gian Maria uh, Volante um, was a prima donna on set, an asshole, and would like talk shit about westerns throughout the entire set, and <laughs> would go on to make other westerns. Um, Many and, westerns. Yeah, and uh, Gian Maria Volante also had a career after this making the political polemic leftist cinema that sounds a lot of it sounds really great like citizen uh, above suspicion yeah um and one's called like it has a very funny like leftist title like uh workers can should kill their masters or something italians <laughs> but, uh... know how to title things we found that out <laughs> from giallo movies like if you know anyone who's italian and you have a movie coming out ask show them the cut go what would you name this (laughs) i just think like the way that you seduced people um with a with a title at a in a certain era was different than the way you would seduce them later like there's all these like it's all like action verbs like the movie companeros the italian title is like let's go kill comma companions well we talked about that oriented maybe we didn't talk about that but like even a leone that we won't get to this month has three titles all good most movies have one title, and you're lucky if it's good. <laughs> Two titles, both are good, unheard of. Three titles, all are good? I mean, fucking get out uh, yeah. of here. Let's talk about this a little bit. So this movie has uh, no hold on. narrative connection to the previous ones. And Wait, hold on, hold on. No, we got to see the titles. The... I, gotta, I just I'm, said I'm the three I'm titles. There. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Jesus Christ. Jeez, you got to be patient with me, man. Jesus. Um, so uh, there's no narrative connection except for it just called for a few dollars more. Um, but it was originally it originally had two other awesome titles that you're referring to that like um, I think I would like better just because I like to think of these movies as like connected by themes and actors like sort of like a 
like a, 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 a slim collection. But like, I don't like thinking about this as like, like a, a way to cash in on Fistful of Dollars. So like, I would prefer the other titles, which are. Sorry, I oh, I was too. talking about uh, the three titles for uh, Ducky Sucker. Oh, 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 a movie that we're not we're not going to other titles too. That yeah, that's why that's why I didn't think you were going to get there when you started talking about for a few. Oh, titles. okay, sorry, a little, little confusion. No, I was just saying that Ducky Sucker is great. Fucking, uh, you know, Once Upon a Time, the Revolution is great, and oh then, yeah, uh, and then a fistful of dynamite is great. Like I, I think I lean to a fistful of dynamite, but uh, it's cute. Yeah, it's uh, especially in reference to the previous stuff. But yeah, they all these titles are are great. Uh, they're so good. Yeah, but I, like, but I honestly, I somehow in my research, I missed the for a few dollars more. So let's continue that thread really quick and just say what, what were those two? Otherwise? Yeah, the other two were the Bounty Hunter, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit generic. But I really like the other title, which is a Boot Hill. Like, it's just, yeah. It, it's percussive, it's nice, and, like, I like either of those titles in theory more than for a few dollars more because it's um, not connected. Like, I like the idea of this just being, like, another adventure, and you don't sell this movie based on a title, t- titular connection. You sell it on having Eastwood on the poster in huge text and Leone on the poster in huge text. And that's another thing, is that between the first movie and this movie... Uh, Leone got to use his actual name and it become sort of a mini celebrity and Eastwood had become a huge celebrity. Um, and so both of those names were huge on every iteration of the poster, except for, um, you know, in certain territories, like uh, ironically in Spain, they pushed Leone more than Eastwood. Uh, one thing though, that, um, you know, we, we watched a bunch of these other movies. I think we're going to continue. I think we'll probably report back over the next couple weeks. Uh, as we as we go through these of, of other notable spaghetti westerns that we've seen, uh, the biggest one I'd give the recommendation uh, to that I've seen so far is is definitely a bullet with a general, maybe, mainly because it's not made by one of the three Sergios, so you may uh, not have heard of it uh, as much as some of the other spaghetti westerns. But also, like I said, it's like it's written by the guy that did the Battle of Algiers, and it's it's just really really good. I, I do think watching all these other uh, Italian Westerns before, along with the Leone movies, it is very clear. And this is reflected in almost like all of your critical favorites uh, lists of best spaghetti Westerns that like Leone like was celebrated. A Fistful of Dollars became big. These these like these movies became huge in the United States. And it's not one of those common scenarios where like the most popular version is Maybe good, but but there's better shit out there. One thing that's just becoming very clear, uh, which I already kind of assume just because, like, these movies are fucking fantastic across the board. Like, so the idea that there's better versions uh, or better spaghetti westerns that I hadn't heard of or hadn't watched seemed unlikely to me based on how good these fucking movies are. But you just, like, watching the other ones, too, you go, like, oh, Bullet for the General's great. Django's great. Like, Death Rides a Horse is great. It's not a Leone movie. And, like, that just becomes extremely apparent when you're watching so many of these (laughs) side by side. And the thing that I think is really missing that Leone just clearly does better than anyone else, and I don't know if this has been your experience as well, because, like, there's, there's great characters... 
Uh, there's great, like, uh, photography. That's one of the great things about spaghetti westerns, right? Like, they shot them usually in places where, uh, like, Spain and other places where uh, American westerns and that kind of west that we know didn't exist. So it gives a really, like, amazing open um, uh, space. They shot on uh, Technoscope, which was a cheaper alternative to Cinescope, but they all, that still means, you know, it's mostly, like, 2.35 aspect ratio and these huge vistas and stuff like that. The thing that's very clear that Leone does better than anyone else, besides, like, just being fucking cool as shit with, like, you know, Clint Eastwood starring in his movies. Clint Eastwood did westerns, but not really a bunch of other spaghetti westerns, is that he shoots gunfights better than maybe anyone on the planet has ever shot a gunfight. And there's a kineticism in that that is just not replicated in any of these other movies. When people get shot in Leone movies, you know, I joked last week that, like, gravity was doing a lot of the work when people flew to the ground that fast. That doesn't happen in any other movie I saw. They don't just fucking hit the deck like um, they've been sucked into a black hole. Instead, what do they do? They do the kind of, like, dramatic, in some ways, overacting, dying when they get shot. Like, Leone's, I think, masterstroke, just from a choreography stand, uh, standpoint that really just, I think, is, like, the, the linchpin that makes his movie stands out, is when people get shot in a Leone movie, they go to the earth faster than you can imagine, <laughs> without the use of trick photography. Like, it's clearly not sped up. It is just, like, a bull taking a bullet, for the most part, in a Leone movie is, like, a trip to the ground. <laughs> um, and, and it just... It's just nowhere else in any of these other movies. I I don't know, Peter, you've been watching a lot of these other ones, too. I think as we pivot to um, for a few dollars more, is that the part that struck you that, like, hey, these are good, too? These are four, four-and-a-half-star movies. Here's what they're missing. Uh, yes, because my sort of uh, loose principle that I've been operating under for a bunch of years is, like, if you are a good action director, you can direct something in a wide shot and make it feel kinetic. Like a, a simple wide shot, no zoom ins, no cuts, and make it feel powerful. And that's like a lot of the DTV movies I was really into a few years ago. That's like their whole thing is like you get the choreography fucking right. Yeah. Actors throw their bodies on the ground. Actors know how to throw themselves without hurting themselves. This is re rehearsed craziness. Like that's when I got really into the raid movies and all the movies that sort of sprung off of that. Like, um, and my, my thing was like, yeah, wide shots, wide shots, wide shots. But now they're watching more of these movies. Uh, Leone will make a wide shot. Like the opening shot of this movie is a wide shot of someone just getting snapped off their horse. Um, it's awesome. Um, he'll do that. But he'll do that just as a tool in the toolbox for making you understand time and place. But when he wants the moment to feel effectual, he will just throw this vicious volley of cuts at you. And then he'll let the moment rest a moment in, in a wide shot so you can understand just, like, the, the ferociousness that was just let go. And, like, there's moments when he'll have, like, perfectly choreographed kills that are in a wide frame. And he's using the wide frame in a way that feels almost like a joke. Um, yeah. So they say, like, comedy lives in the wide frame, right? Like, like the moment in this movie where the... He shoots a guy in a bar. He turns his attention to shoot three more guys in the door. This is sort of a reintroduction to, you know, Joe or Manko or whatever. Um, the man with no name. And um, 
And then behind him, a guy is about to draw. And the fact that in that moment, Leone had leaves it wide and lets it feel like um, uh, uh, the man with no name has such a command of his space that he knows to like flip around really quickly yeah. and kill that guy. It feels like a comic moment, like a mm-hmm. joke. Whereas for the, the first time he shot him a moment earlier, it was like, it was like a beautiful snap cut of like Leone pulling that gun out. And like, he knows how to do both in a way that like, I don't think anybody masters a lot of these, these directors, like they'll like, especially in day of anger, there's awesome wide shots of people getting shot or the, you know, an act of violence. And like, yeah, that requires some choreography, but you're right. It can feel very stagey. It can feel uh, either over rehearsed where it feels very stiff or it can feel under rehearsed where it feels like too sloppy with Leone, like, he wants this to feel messy and nasty, but he wants it to feel n- messy and nasty, and he's got the fucking reins on the horse, right? Like, yeah. he's, he is he is breaking in a horse, and you're watching him break in a horse, and I love that. Yeah, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I really do think, like, there's great examples in For a Few Dollars More. There's going to be amazing examples in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I think the, like, quintessential example is go watch The Last Gunfight in... A fistful of dollars when he shoots everyone, but uh, what is what's uh, Valente's character's name in that movie? Ro- Rojo? Uh, not Rojo. Um, uh, Ramon. Ramon. Uh, well, there's so, the Rojos or the Rojas or whatever yeah. is the name of his gang, so you're close. Yeah. I just didn't have my notes for that movie in front of me, and I've seen a lot of names in the last few days. <laughs> I've just seen, I see a lot of names. Um, I've seen names you couldn't believe, Peter. <laughs> You've seen a lot of white guys with very Steve. Mexican names. Steven. <laughs> Stefan. Stefan. Um, but like when he shoots all his henchmen and they drop all like even though he's shooting four bullets in like, you know, uh, in succession, they all drop to the floor almost impossibly fast. And all of a sudden Ramon is sitting there looking at, you know, five against one and in what seems like a millisecond, it's one against one with someone who just took four pieces off the chessboard. And, like, I think that's what I'm talking about. There's just not moments like that in these other movies. Even um, even the one, like, My Name is Nobody that was, like, uh, for the most part, the gunfights were still directed by Leone. You know, he's, he's in a different mode. He's doing... Uh, He's doing like half. He's not doing half-hearted directing, but he's like not technically the director, even though he's the producer and the writer. And they use a lot of uh, undercrank. Yeah, uh, yeah. So in and in that movie, they really like a lot of the the scenes. Now, that movie is also partially on purpose comedy, and it's very funny uh, in in moments. But they undercrank uh, the comedy to have these sped up scenes where like the terence fisher's character is moving impossibly fast and like that has an effect but it's not the same effect as feeling like everything has happened impossibly fast with like the physics of the universe staying consistent yeah yeah i uh you can you can feel that there's these sort of iconographic big godlike figures in these movies um and leone shoots them that way and it feels like these are titans going at each other and everybody else is just kind of chaff. Um, like, for instance, in this movie, that sort of that sort of uh, uh, didactic quality where it's like the, the, the fact that in Fistful of Dollars, 
Uh, the man with no name has this big dramatic duel with Ramon, uh, Gian Maria Volante's character. And when he finally gets close enough to defeat Gian Maria Volante's character, killing all the other characters is like an afterthought. He's yeah. just sort of, it's just, he just fans his revolver and takes the three out in two seconds. But his fight with Gian Maria Volante, he's like, I'm going to set up another duel with you right now like there's these titans and like titans recognize titans game recognize game and in this movie when they start and they're introducing um the the man in black uh lee van cleef's character colonel douglas mortimer um 100 sounds like a mr show character <laughs> it does isn't mortimer famous mortimer famous mortimer. yeah he this is the famous mortimer we've heard so much about <laughs> I mean, he could easily do like, uh, like, uh, uh, whatever Jay Johnson's character is, where he's like the story of Everest. No, the Abraham Lincoln of like uh, mustard mayonnaise. Like, let's get the hell out of here. Uh, Like Lee Van Cleef has that sort of like uh, uh, Titan like energy in this movie, and when they introduce him. It feels like the beginning of a Bond movie, particularly like from Russia with Love or whatever, where they introduce us to a character purely to show us how fucking dangerous the villain to Bond is going to be. And then they and then they reintroduce us, reintroduce us to to the man with no name with you reusing music cues from the last movie in a way that genuinely made me like grin ear to ear. I know. I was so happy when that happened. I was smiling so much. Can you imagine being in a theater? And like in everybody that loves Fistful of Dollars showed up. Fistful of Dollars came out two weeks ago because MGM has decided to release them all within weeks <laughs> yeah. from each other after holding them back from United States release. Clint Eastwood only agreed to be in your movie after you had to do an imported Italian version because he had never seen the movie after going back to the States because there was no way to watch it. And you're <laughs> sitting in the theater going, wow. That's music again. Yeah. Um, but maybe in Italy you hear the music yeah, again. I know. I'm just... Uh-huh. I, I think it's so funny how much America's like, okay, one hit, one giant hit. Let's wait and see. And then that next <laughs> one comes out and they're like, okay, touch and go. okay, but you know, three strikes and you're out. But we'll, it just we'll shows wait. you how like the system was not set up for importing. No. Big budget movies like this. And if it was, it was from England. This would be odd, but there's just not, there wasn't as much of a a, a, a system for We're America. We export. The distribution they needed to like make a bunch of fucking money for everybody. Yeah, super dumb. It is crazy that Clint Eastwood literally was like, well, I haven't seen the first one. All right. Like, <laughs> how did I sure turn you, out? Like, sure he had no it? idea. Like they had to import one. And I guess they hired like some local actors to dub it in English so he could understand. <laughs> So it's just like a bunch of random people because they're a beneficial dub. And then Clint Eastwood's voice. That has to be fucking surreal, right? Like, you're watching a movie with your own voice and you're like, I remember being on set. These guys didn't sound like that. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my point is that there, there, there's a Titan-like quality when they introduce this character and you think, um, this is going to be... Like, I hadn't seen the movie in a while. And you're like, oh, yeah, him and Lee Van Cleef go at each other. And, like, the trick is that it's not the story of, like, a movable force up against an unstoppable object with these two. The real story is that um, El Indio is such a vile, evil piece of shit. Like, way worse oh, than anybody yeah. in Fistful of Dollars. 
uh, he is the person that Lee Van Cleef and you know the the, the man in, the man in black and uh, Clint Eastwood, the man with no name, need to like unite just to take down because this guy is so vile and so murderous. Spaghetti westerns love their anti-heroes and they're almost like anti-villains in some ways. Like, Indio is like the most despicable character. Like, completely irredeemable and unsympathetic on 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 every level. Um, and he's a dope smoker, worst of all. Oh, yeah. You, you seen that movie Reefer Madness? Yeah, for a few dollars more is what it was called when it was dis- distributed statewide. <laughs> Yeah, those people went mad after smoking the reefer. <laughs> if and, you don't know what we're talking about. Is the, anger is the worst of the emotions, uh, according to people who want uh, other people to calm down. <laughs> Which are the same people who are against, who, I, are, who ironically are usually against smoking reefer. <laughs> do you think Yoda wanted uh, Luke to chill yes. out just because he was so high all the time? Let's do 10 minute skit on Yoda. Smoking weed. Oh, uh, <laughs> angry uh, is not the vibe in Dagobah. It is. <laughs> I don't actually want to do this. <laughs> Chillax, dude. How <laughs> <laughs> much joint you must? How do I learn enough about uh, audio and video editing to replace every line that? Yoda says with chillax, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You must chillax. Chillax, you must. (laughs) Chillax, you must. Now Uh, I sound like Admiral Akbar. I don't have a very good Yoda. It's a chillax. (laughs) It's a trap queen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. The video is bad. Because he smokes weed. <laughs> Not uh, also, I'd gonna... seen this movie a bunch, and I didn't know that he was smoking weed until um, I was reading about it. And they were like, this was controversial for the time. Um, and, the, you know, the movie might have gotten more censorship, but it was such an evil character that it was, uh, you know, it was considered uh, it was considered fine. And, you know, maybe American audiences wouldn't have picked up on the fact that it wasn't it wasn't a cigarette. And I was like, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I didn't know it was weed until someone told me. Can <laughs> you imagine sense, being like, oh, my he, like, God, lulls his head back and shit. He's like, he's like, oh, I'm in a weed revelry and thinking about uh, all the murders I've done before. The the last thing I'll say, and then we should go talk about the movie even more because we're clearly chomping at the bit. But um, the, the, the thing that Leone really gets right and just understands in a way that I don't think I understood um, until I was watching all these movies back and back to back. Is like there's there's a scene in uh, the the ending scene of Bullet for the General is like again the bad guy gets killed. The bad guy gets killed with four bullets, like each one more painful than the last. And the thing that Leone understands is that once the one bullet happens, the next three bullets don't actually make it worse, right? Like that that's not something that you go and say. Oh no! Another bullet. <laughs> this is more painful. Two bullets is way worse than one bullet. Um, and I think that's what a lot of maybe movies get wrong. And I think definitely these other westerns like don't quite understand. Like getting shot a bunch of time doesn't give you a, a sense of viscera in the same way that like one bullet that fucking counts. And like really, you understand that a bullet equals death. And like. Um, maybe not like a, a, a wriggling, painful, 
on screen death, but literally just drops you out of out of existence for for the most part, is something that is uh, makes make gives the weight of bullets uh, just uh, or gives the, give bullets a lot more heft and importance. Like if you can survive three or four bullet uh, bullets. Uh, before you finally like keel over as you like raise your hand to the sky that your friend betrayed you or something like that, it's actually less impactful than than making that scene last two seconds. I think that like generally the violence in this is incredibly impactful in a variety of ways based on moment to moment. And he's very yeah. flexible, whereas like I feel like I feel like a lot of Western directors uh, only know how to shoot like one type of wide shot. And they're like, all right, well, the guy walks out in the street and then that guy gets shot. <laughs> like, Or like, all right, well, I know a guy that can do the window gag where the guy falls out of the window. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Like the, the, there's an inflexibility, I think, to a lot of Westerns in general um, that I think is why people found them boring. And like Leone was like, we can shoot this however we want. Like we can use experimental film techniques. We can use... Um, we can use cutting in a way that like most directors just don't even, if they don't, if they think of it, they are too yeah. scared to do it. Um, and, well, but and, that's and, why and I like his scenario where like El Indio, uh, gets spotted on a poster, um, mm-hmm. by, uh, the man in black who clearly wants him dead. And there's a moment, and this isn't even a moment of violence, but like he sees him and then he hears a shot and then he sees him and they intercut um close-ups of the man in black's face and el indio's face and a and a a gunshot cue and it's so fucking cool in a way that like it i feel the mo the violence of his trauma in that moment in a way Mm -hmm. that like usually these movies don't bother with they're just like it's just someone giving a a monologue about their trauma as opposed to you know you you feel some sort of personal violent connection you assume it's something during the war but it's actually something uh, a little bit different. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I also think, like, that's why Leone just became, you know, like, especially celebrated for his famous, like, you know, standoff and, and shootout scenes. It's because, you know, the 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 10 minutes of the character standing there is is punctuated by the three seconds where the shootout's over. And, like, that build and that staring at each other and those little moments and, you know, little conversation pieces or, like, little mild changes to who who's in a position of strength and who's in a position of weakness adds so much tension that it's like it's it literally has popped like an air out of the balloon once the guns start shooting and like that is just ultimately uh more exciting uh and just leaves you sometimes like breathless in a way that I do think at uh that the, the other directors of the of the genre just didn't quite get in the same same way like they copied a lot from leone leone was uh was 100 percent celebrated even in you know italy is like the best of the best and you know uh peter i know you were trying to dig up dirt on <laughs> a corbucci and be like did they did they must have had a feud at some point because corbucci is like you know stealing all all his stuff. stealing his steez stealing his steez uh but uh, you know, he was celebrated. It's just interesting that that's a part of it that I feel like only he did, right? And that's only been uh, emphasized as I watch other movies from the era around these. So, Peter, without further ado, do you want to talk about for a few dollars more? Uh, talk about what for a few dollars more? Are do you, you want to talk about? I mean, just a few dollars more, though. Like our budget is low. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, you said few. You didn't say, you know, for a, a book. What's, if someone says a few to you, what number range are you thinking? Seven dollars. Uh, you can have six fifty. <laughs> Frankly, in the podcast game, I'll take what I can get. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's if basically you're thinking the of advertising wage. in our show. We are worth more than seven dollars. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about the film. Start parentheses for a few dollars more. Close parentheses. No more jokes. <laughs> Hashtag. Hashtag. No jokes. alternate taglines for us i do shouldn't it have been called for a few lira more classic, classic. Uh, or a, f- a few uh, macaronis <laughs> is that the is that the, the primary currency in italy uh take you me five macaronis to give you give you uh, three pasta fagiolis yeah this this is one of those things that would be offensive if it were any way recognizable <laughs> that's how i talk when i talk about pasta <laughs> you're going a little bit jay leno uh thank you thank you that's how you talk about pasta <laughs> you're just see about this they make noodles in different shapes it's crazy <laughs> i listened to an interview with jay leno talking about the oh. way he was growing up and he was like Oh, I had a Scottish grandmother, and she talked like this. And I had an Italian grandmother, and she talked like this. And I was like, and and the best thing about this story is, like, this story hasn't changed in 50 years or whatever. Jay has had, theoretically, almost twice my lifespan to figure out how to tell this story. And he still can't make it funny (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah, my Scotch aunt would be like, oh, yeah, I'm really cheap. And then my Italian aunt would be like, oh, have another, have another cannoli. And he's like, I, he like, ne- like, he told the story. And then like the, the host gave like a polite chuckle. And I was like, what's the joke? I mean, that's like what fucking the nature with Jay Leno dot text. Yeah. <laughs> right. What's, what's the joke? <laughs> what's the joke? Anyways, uh, for a few dollars more. Um, <laughs> I like the way you dragged that out. <laughs> a few dollars more for a few dollars more. Um, so uh, we are introduced to a uh, bounty hunter named. No, 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 no. We are introduced in the way that we are in many <laughs> westerns, with a hero in a wide shot riding towards the camera on horseback. And whoever that is gets shot before he gets anywhere when the title comes up. Oh, yeah. It starts with almost a joke. 
like it's, Great it's a joke. joke about it's a joke about the viciousness of the west right like that you yeah. think this is going to be our hero from before and it's it's in like a shocking moment this person gets absolutely obliterated and you think at best it's gonna be a movie about this our hero you know fighting back from a sniper wound but like no this is just some random asshole who gets but it is uh you know leona was doing it very purposefully because most so many westerns, you know, they start with credits. It was the it was it was the age of credits. The movies now with credits, uh, and so they would show you know our hero in a wide shot, show the terrain, and you know as as the credits you know roll through, uh, he gets closer, and then usually you meet the hero. And so this very much was uh, specifically targeted to take that and to turn it on its head by having this guy just be a random doofus who gets shot off his horse by a sniper. And then they move on to other things like, oh God, Le- Leone really did have a very, very funny sense of humor when it came to Oh, this. yeah. Whereas, like, I think the comedy in, in a lot of these spaghetti westerns we've been watching or is just like the comedy is like, this guy is an alcoholic. This guy's greedy. <laughs> uh uh yeah instead it's like an actual joke riffing off the formula and your expectations like it's supposed to wake an audience up right in, in, in a way it's yeah. kind of funny that like it's a long shot of a guy long, riding horse long shot, yeah and then and it's like leone making fun of slow west right yeah yeah we're introduced to the man in black colonel douglas mortimer um who is played by Lee Bankley. Get the hell out of here, he says. Get the hell out of here. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> Let's get the hell out of here. Let's get... <laughs> I do hope you watch... Sorry, we're, we're all over the place. Or I'm all over the place. Uh, I do hope you watch Death Rides a Horse because I'm pretty sure whoever dubbed the uh terrence or not not terrence fisher whoever is playing like the clint eastwood younger hotshot guy against uh lee van cleef is like doing (laughs) he's doing a john wayne thing i think he's like i'm here for this and it's so i think it may have bumped down a half a star like i really like that movie but the voice is like i'm a hero man (laughs) (laughs) i'm a big strong hero man watch me ride horsey I'm riding horsey. I killed my family. <laughs> but like it's not like it's not good. I feel like the and this is true of the Italian horror movies that we've talked about, Peter. I feel like the dubbing industry was based solely around whose voice sounded the least like whatever the face looked like. Like it's uh, all <laughs> that happens in this movie, but it, it almost seems like they're like, this guy sounds nothing like this. He's hired. <laughs> that is actually what we go for. Or like they had someone very carefully select which person would voice which <laughs> character. Uh, and then um, some poor intern dropped the cards every single day. And they're like, uh, 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 Klaus Kinski, you will be voiced by uh, Toby Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. So The man with uh, the back walked across the desert. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, um, the man in black rode across the desert. Um, so um, he's uh, riding a train, reading the Bible. Um, he were introduced to him uh, with him um, stopping the train um, with the emergency cord. He just doesn't understand how trains work. Um, 
honestly, huge faux pas. Um, and frankly, not a good look. To not understand how trains work. Trains no, you're gonna stations, you're gonna go. They're set routes. You get off at the set routes. You're gonna go try to you know uh, have a vendetta against the person that killed your. I'm pretty sure sister. Right, sister. sister. Yeah. 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 And you don't know how trains work in a place where trains is like the most reliable means of transportation. Do you, did you even love your sister? <laughs> yeah. Do you? That even was the know? question I asked for most of this movie. And did she even have drops of Jupiter in her hair? <laughs> God damn it! I was, uh, I was thinking of their other song, and I think that joke went something like, "Meet Lee Van Cleef's dead sister." I can't wait to. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the song meet virginia and i didn't even have the energy to try to sing it hey dad sister <laughs> <laughs> sorry i was waiting for you to finish your joke <laughs> no it's, that was the whole joke my whole joke was their first song is like uh meet virginia i can't wait to <laughs> we don't know that his his sister's name wasn't virginia it just feels a little bit like a stretch um, yeah i i definitely think train's first commercial hit in the united states was specifically singing about lee van cleef's dead sister and for a few dollars more like that's that's the one's like you know uh, she, she's literally she hate, a soul sister, though, right? She, she hates babies and untie. Yeah, who knows what the fucking lyrics that song is? <laughs> she hates being murdered. <laughs> she hates being murdered. It's all like contradictions, right? Like, uh, but again, I cannot think of one lyric because it's train. Yeah, you're, the brain. The brain has a way of shutting down train lyrics from forming. <laughs> um. <laughs> Um, a man in black is clearing up bounties. He's got a bag of tools, bag of guns. Um, he's very well outfitted and clearly like a, a professional, right? Like he, he's, he's cool. He's calm. Um, what's the, what's the expression? Cool under the co- collar. Got a cool collar, something like that. I don't know. Uh, it looks pretty hot. My guess is that he's a, he's a cool dude. He's got a chill vibe, but my guess is that collar's hot. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, hot for collar, Um, and he just wants to get work up the bounties until he finally finds the right bounty, which is El Indio, Um, who, jumping ahead, we will find out, uh, was the one who murdered his sister. um, Well, do we even really, sorry, do we even really know that the sister's in play here, or did I miss that? Like, I feel like that is a reveal for the last ten minutes of the movie. Last ten minutes. So, yeah, yeah, that's why I was, I was just jumping ahead. Okay. No, it's fine. Yeah. Um, There is, there is, because there is some great hints later on where uh, Eastwood and Cleef are talking. And and Eastwood starts getting suspicious that his his reason for collecting the b- bounty may be more, um, maybe more than just wanting to get money, and uh, and he asked him he's like I don't want to sound indiscreet, but it seems like you may have motivation besides the money, and uh, Cleef in a great line is like well the question's not indiscreet but the answer could be and they leave it there right like it's a it's almost a moment you forget about that there was that that Eastwood had a 
sense of recognition that there was something else going on. Like it doesn't truly come out of nowhere. It just is. It's so like subtle and underplayed, like all of their moments together that uh, like you kind of forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a thing where um, Lee Van Cleef seems like he's the villain, um, the foil of the film. And then eventually he becomes like, um, you know, he's, he's on the vengeance path, but he is the most, um, I would say moral person in the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's, he doesn't fuck over, um, his, his, his one defining characteristic away from, um, the man with no name is he isn't, I think he's just a hero. I, I don't think he's as much an anti-hero, like in, at least relatively. He's, he I think the really... man with no name in this movie is essentially a hero, right? Like, um... Though he keeps like fucking over uh, Mortimer, like he keeps like he, trying he to does, trick him, it... and Mortimer just is smart enough to know his way around the Man in Black's machinations, and the Man in Black eventually forms a grudging respect for him. It's like a buddy cop movie. It's like an er buddy cop movie, right? It seems more like uh, when he fucks him over, though. It's like, hey, I like you, dude, but it's for your own good. There's, there's not this idea of like. There's not a fistful full of dollars moment where he is like literally creating situations where two uh, two families will kill each other and not really caring about the cost of that because it'll ultimately lead to more to more potential money for him. Like he, they're just bounty hunters, and based if they're collecting bounties off the same type of people that El Indio is, uh, they're doing okay jobs. Like they are. I mean, they're they're murdering people in the most part for money, but they're they're murdering uh psychopaths yeah so, like, yeah there's no there's no uh unlike uh great silence which is entirely about how um uh, you know uh being a bounty hunter is an evil enterprise and it's raw yeah with murderous villainous people that just make basically make the the law their their shield um and this it's like these are all all these these, tar- these targets these bounty targets are douchebags and like need to be need to be taken down yeah, especially like in this scenario where, like you know, essentially the 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 idea of justice or sheriffs, which Eastwood basically points out in the first scene, doesn't really exist, right? Like the first scene that he's in, where he's like, uh, "That was your sheriff. You need a new sheriff," and throws the star on the ground, right? It's and he's like, mostly oh, just mad because the sheriff is just like corrupt, corrupt. And, yeah, and it ruins the system that Eastwood has built, like. That sheriff almost gets Eastwood. We'll, we'll get there in a sec. Yeah, um, I really, so- I really, I really do think. I like. I think you're onto something. I think because this is definitely not true in Good, Bad, and the Ugly. I think, no. or and definitely not true in One Spot of Time in the West. I think in this movie, like, as long as you ascribe to the fact that these people are killing the right people for money, and like, you don't want to get into the the, the ethical quandaries of like. <laughs> that that level of justice system especially in comparison to the other movies uh the east we don't know what they've done outside the four four walls of the film but uh they're they're generally actually just just good people yeah and i would say heroes. eastwood's eastwood's anti-hero status is more that he's just greedy for the money and by the end he's like formed a begrudging respect with um with a, a with a mortimer um to the point that he's like this is our money kid like this is my our money old man like let's let's split it and mortimer's like that's not what i was here for um so in a sense like i feel like mortimer is more ends up you know coming out with his hands even cleaner um than eastwood yeah. does. and then good man the ugly is entirely about 
the anti-hero the anti-hero conflict right right like i don't think any of those care like that's really where fistful of dollars and good man the ugly we need to have like that anti-hero conversation because yeah. like <laughs> lee van cleef like <laughs> shoots the person that was hired to that hired him in the face because like he got a bigger bounty. yeah and fist, fistful of dollars like i do think that's almost the epitome of anti-hero right like he's doing selfish things and getting people killed the people he's getting killed aren't particularly good, but he's not necessarily doing it for even the idea of, you know, whatever nobility you would give to, like, I my job is to take out evil people. He's just doing it for sometimes just shits and giggles and sometimes for money. And his, like, where, where the hero part is, is that, like, he recognizes that there's a woman and a, and a kid who are being, like, you know, kidnapped and abused and tortured throughout this and like he's willing to like that's too far for him right like he knows that all these other assholes are assholes and he doesn't mind if he does evil things because it's a like a world of of amorality at best but like that's where he draws the line and i do think you know again i I know we have to rewatch uh to the other two movies we're gonna be talking about but i think just remembering those i think you could make the case that this is the only one of his movies that really doesn't have an amorality like Eastwood and Van Cleef are generally, again, just heroes. They're old West heroes or whatever else you want to call them that kill people. But like in that template, they match more of like the Shane type hero or, you know, other other um, John Ford movie type heroes than than the rest of Leone or Spaghetti Western or antihero movies. And then you, the villain is like an uncomplicated monster. Yeah, he's like, haunted by his trauma, but they never he never uses that haunting to try and mitigate his future violence, right? Like it's not like he learns a lesson by the end. The only lesson El Indio learns at the end is that there might be people faster and and more deadly and smarter than him. Exactly. And he, he I mean he's up. He's he looks back on these moments and, uh, you know, one person I was reading talking about this movie is like, it's almost like there's a, there's a sense of like, of, of, uh, psychosexual sadism, like, you know, his, like, and, and like his, his, like his, re- his, the ultimate rejection for like masculinity is, uh, like literally someone killing themselves mid rape because, it's saying that I would rather die right now than, than finish what I'm doing with you. And like, it's that kind of like imp- impotent, uh, sadistic rage that powers him to like a state of complete uh, immorality. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way of putting it. And like, you know, the, the I, yeah, I think the most charitable reading you could have on El Indio is that um, he's someone that does awful things and is, is surrounded himself with awful people. And so, and the only life he knows is performing awful actions, but even he is haunted at the end of the day with the things he did. But like, do you think he's haunted with the things he, see, I took this moment when, there's a moment when after he kills the wife and kids and he makes this, uh, he's clearly rattled and he's, yes, I do. Um, there's a moment where he's haunted, his wife and kids uh, are murdered and then he kills the, the person he meant to kill. And he's just rattled and his nerves are shot and he makes this this little hand motion um, for, you know, roll a cigarette for me. But obviously now, yeah. we know he means weed um, for to his uh, right hand man, um, who I believe was also in Fistful of Dollars, the big guy. Yeah. Uh, Nino in this, but I forget what his name was in the in the previous one. 
and he rolls him his his weed and he gets high and then like once you know that he's getting high the movie makes a lot more sense because he smokes the cigarette and then he sort of lolls his head back and then you see he's either uh wistfully he's either going to sleep on the table or he's wistfully thinking about the past and we get flashbacks which is also interesting that was leone getting ballsy because like the last movie would have never had flashbacks it was so sparse and limited um and this is leone getting confident and then he um and then he's coming back and he's got this like awful sad and he just goes in this melancholic state that like i think is actually fairly people that i think a lot of people i know that like uh self-medicate their depression or their anxiety with weed you could recognize um yeah and he goes into those revelries and he doesn't come out of it i don't think like necessarily charged but he comes out of it like just sullen and he's just like he's just like his his anxiety eventually catches up with him when he performs one of these actions because he's like got like trauma related to the moment that he was rejected and rebuffed in such a, a vicious awful manner so yeah i i think he definitely feels bad about it whether he feels whether his his um his tr- his reaction to the trauma or the lesson he learned is the right lesson is up for debate for sure um but whether or not he feels awful about it is like i think pretty clear to me at least uh i think there's a little bit of like sense of like uh you know because he does that to someone that he used to call a friend i feel like the regret is that it happened to uh you know one of his one of his compadres as opposed to any sort of like frustration at the sin but i mean it's you could just be as that that was my interpretation um and oh, that's definitely... also that's also important to note is they tell you at first you think he's coming home to the scene of his his girlfriend, his wife, yeah. whatever, um, cheating on him. And he, you know, he kills his lover, which is like, while not acceptable in any manner for a bunch of, you know, bad guys who do violent acts like, you know, it's at least somewhat, quote unquote, understandable, uh, is at least somewhat understandable um where and then when they reveal the full context that just like unlocks a new level of his villainy where you're like this wasn't even his wife or his girlfriend this was him just like lusting like a serial killer it becomes a a giallo movie in those flashbacks at that point yeah i and i think uh yeah i think that's why like he i don't know i i don't i don't get a sense of I I sense I get a sense of regret that like like that like psychopaths do that like oh you know why did you have to betray me <laughs> right like it's a little Michael Corleone like you know killing his brother and shit like that like oh give you I'm gonna give you the smooches but um, but you know you suck dude yeah you're gone yeah why would you it's it, that is that i mean that is the 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 quintessential abusive behavior like why would you make me do this and the haunting is more of like the length that you've had to go to to bring justice to a situation even though the your sense of justice is uh psychopathic and uh, yeah. warped by narcissism and he loves violence this isn't i'm not saying every single act of violence this is dude ref- loves violence i'm not saying every single act of violence is reflected here but the fact that he pulls out the music box that he stole from her um yeah and plays it in moments of 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 violence or moments of of reflection 
um, I think implies that he's like he's not he's not over he hasn't gotten over this moment, but there are probably a mountain of men that he has murdered that he has completely forgotten. Like yeah, you know, I mean, he's not thinking about that random ass bank worker that he wastes. Like he's not think, spending a moment thinking about him. No, but I think what you're forgetting, Peter, is that this takes place in the old west, and so they're really if you wanted to listen to music, really one of the only ways besides hiring like a live band is through music boxes. So if anything, I I think he's just really just you know he 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 may have thrived more with uh, in a Spotify world or. Even an eight-track world compared to the world that he lived in. Oh, that's so true. Do you think that maybe he would have had a cool, chill vaporwave playlist to listen to when he was, you know, after after a big job? I think his mixtapes would be confusing. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's confusing. Um, like the, the, the like laughing the, the, and like the the cackling and the 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 like. The whirring, like, I think you would be into, like, uh, disintegration loops. Maybe, but I also see that, like, it, I mean, you, you got Patrick Bateman is really into Huey Lewis in the news and stuff like that. But that's that. him like, trying to be normal. I think, I think El Indio is post-normal. He's like, oh, oh, I'm a, I'm a great sad murderer. Everyone stand around. I'm, I'm doing an impression of an Italian, by the way. Oh, the great oh, sad no, murderer. Cool. Everyone surround me and feel bad for me. Roll me a joint. Yeah, I could see him getting too into the Grateful Dead. Yeah, or prog rock, probably like Crimson King. You think King like Crimson he's like him? he's like yeah? I own like Lamb lies down on Broadway is where I stop with Genesis, but that is the peak <laughs> for me. God, and he has this like aw- uh, this like awful laugh cackle that's clearly associated with like you know psychopaths. That's Leone pulling from you know probably you know horror history, um, probably the Polizio Teshi movies as well. You know the cackling madman killer. Yeah, he probably um, like murders people that refer to Peter Gabriel's albums as their his first four albums as one two three four because he's like if he wanted to name them after numbers he would have done it they're all called peter gabriel peter gabriel peter yeah. gabriel peter gabriel oh no he's peter gabriel is literally here <laughs> <laughs> it is the candy man thing i mean he was here before uh, yeah. the chanting but he didn't go away after the chanting so just to clarify for the audience, my first name is Peter. My middle name is Gabriel. I think so I'm as qualified as any to say that you're allowed to call those albums one through four. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is that El Indio is a psychopath. A yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He would be a hardliner about most music. I mean, I one of my favorite bands of all time is, is uh, Pixies, and I still call them The Pixies. And I recognize that's not their name, and they don't like that. But, I mean, it's just a normal thing to say. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely wouldn't I don't think the the crime for calling Pixies the Pixie should be capital punishment, but El Indio would, I think. Um and by and yeah, like I I I I think that probably El Indio is a hardliner about music in the sense that like um he would be mad about similarly the talking heads versus talking heads. Yeah. Oh, prob- very similar. Yes, exactly the same situation. Same article and everything. And if you called the band the band, uh, you would get shot instantly because you're just supposed to smile and nod. You're not supposed to call them anything. Yeah, and if you call that song Take a Load Off Annie, get out. With bullets. bullets. I will make you get out with bullets. Do you think, now that we're two hours into this app, that we should do a plot recap or nah? 
Nah, people didn't come here for this. They didn't click on an episode called for a few dollars more okay. to hear about the movie for a few dollars more. God damn it. Okay, so Peter, like 30 seconds. We said so many parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put all the pieces we're, we're, together. We're, we're, we're getting there. Uh, so we laid out who the villain is. Uh, El Indio is trying to rob a bank. Um, and uh, Leva and Cleve's character, Man in Black, and Clint Eastwood's character, the man with no name, are in pursuit of him because he's got a huge bounty on his head. So, um, they are sort of begrudgingly working together. Clint Eastwood will break the terms of that. Then they come back together uh, to try and catch these guys. The way, and they eventually come together after this. Um, I would love to see a gay film scholar write about the scene, the scene with the hats. Yeah. Um, where, uh, <laughs> interesting. He repeats that in my name is nobody. I've noticed there's a few things in this that I've noticed in other movies, but one of which is that, uh, men only being able to bond over an act of close violence. And also apparently Italians fucking hate when you light a match on them. <laughs> they don't like it. I mean, Definitely, uh, rage-prone Germans don't like it. <laughs> Isn't it weird that El Indio makes Klaus Kinski look chill? He does a little bit, yeah. Yeah, uh, Kinski is, like, generally pretty chill. Like, he's third build because he's Klaus Kinski, and, like, I get, I get it, but he has yeah. a line. Yeah. And he and dies I, with 40 minutes to go. And I wouldn't say a man in black is generally pretty chill. I would say he's kernelly pretty chill. Yeah, and if I was the man in black, I would just say, just bounce with me. Just bounce with me. Take a walk with me. Yeah. I would say, we're in a ring of fire. No, no, Peter. Peter. I'm referring I, to a different man in black. I, I, was, I was referring to the famous Will Smith song. Mm-hmm. Men in black from the movie Men in Black. Yeah, I know. They're coming. That The song no, told no, us black they announced their arrival. No, no black, black suits come in... Yeah. <laughs> In uh, Men in Black 2, as far as we know, there's no black suits coming, song-wise. Uh, and if they were coming, they would definitely make um, trees on different planets ignite on fire. <laughs> um. Anyways, plot recap. Should, we be, should it be mandatory that we have guests on this show, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> like, if we ever got picked up by a network, they'd be like... Okay, you know, okay show, whatever. We picked up worse things. Uh, you need guests on all episodes. Yeah, you either need guests or a very stern dominatrix to stand behind you and beat you whenever you go off plot. Unless that's I mean, your then, kink in which Sorry, the yeah, the second part sounds pretty good, Peter. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. I think, I think you're probably describing our mutual fantasy. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The dominatrix will only slap us when we're we're perfectly on. Oh, that changes things. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. Um. I'm. I'm I would like to get uh, slapped. With a bank. Yeah. Bank robbery. Today. Bank robbery. Bank robbery. Bank robbery. Um. So the way that they handle this is there's a man on the inside, and then the man in in black is on the outside. So. Um. <laughs> The man with no name tricks them into sort of letting him join the gang. And then um, the, uh, the, you know, the man in black basically says, like, um, I can't join the gang because I've already pissed all them off. So eventually they rob the bank and they all meet up in the small town to, like, lay low. Um, Well, you mentioned so Clint Eastwood does join and then his because they're supposed to be he's supposed to leave the decoy bank robbing party and he. Does that, but um, kills everyone. 
<laughs> it's a way to get knock three players off the board. The, that whole Leone, like, everyone starts to realize something's wrong and everyone's dead before they're able to get out of their sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it it's a uh, it's a moment I skipped over, but it's great because it's uh, essentially their plan involves cutting down part of the gang before they can even reunite. Yeah, um, and then uh, the the colonel, uh, Colonel Mortimer, um, he uh shoots uh the man in black or the yeah Colonel Mortimer shoots the man with no name, um just to graze him in the neck so that it actually passes for like, oh, all these guys died in a firefight and you were the one guy that lived, but even you yeah. got grazed, right? Yep. Um, Which we find out is not as clever. One thing I love about this movie is that uh, El Indio knew the whole time that that he was a bounty hunter. Yeah, so what we eventually find out is that um, El Indio, they're all in the small town to, ha- to hide out. And Before El they Indio go spend their money. Yeah. wants to kill... All the other members of his gang, except for one, uh, Nino, um, and wipe the board clean, walk away with all this money. Because El Indio is a rabid dog, and it's not even so much about greed. It's it is about some, there's something there's something inside him he's trying to scratch um, with the sort of the sort of like uh, you know constant need to burn things down. Like it's it's like he's an arsonist, right? Like. He can't, it's not that he's trying to build a perfect criminal operation, like, he's just, he, he, some, he feeds off of chaos in some manner. He's almost like some sort of Joker figure. I did like the scene where, where, uh, where, uh, after they find out that, uh, the Manko, man with no name, is betraying him, he, he throws down his gun and says, I'm going to become the Joker. <laughs> I want to see that scene and someone actually does dub in with, you know, somewhat convincing dubbing techniques. I'm going to become the Joker. I, this is a, this is a 30 second pause on this. That movie's so fucking stupid and I hate it so much. And I hate everything. The Joker and Batman used to be my favorite things in the world. until I was about, I guess, whatever Zack Snyder and comic book culture became big. But, I don't think there's a meme that will make me laugh more consistently than that. <laughs> Just any, anytime anything goes mildly wrong for someone, for the caption on the picture to be, I'm going to become the Joker, is my favorite thing in the world. It's been a year and a half. I, I still the laugh. The still going strong. I'm laughing hypothetically thinking of situations where I would find that funny, Peter. It's a good, it's, it's a good meme. It'd be a good thing to post on our, our Facebook page in a, uh, whatever, um, two months. Um, so, um, they eventually reach a point where El Indio does pull off this, this trick where he murders a member of his gang to um, try and split up the rest of the gang. And then he gets a few of them murdered trying to chase after... Um, the man with no name and uh, Colonel Mortimer, because at this point he's caught on to their ruse. And well, you know, no, I, see, I think the crew, he... the crew gets like chewed up because he's trying to make them turn against each other and actually like take each other out, even though he himself is a viciously good shot. Well, so Mortimer does end up stealing the money, right? They hide it in the saddlebag. It ends up in a tree, which is important, which kind of changes El Indio's plan. He starts getting angrier at more people because. But he also reveals that, like, there's a great exchange where he's like, when did you know 
that Manko was a bounty hunter and his henchman's like, well, today, because that's when you told us. He's like, I knew from the beginning. And here's the thing about that. You could definitely take it either way and you'd be right. Like, either he is, of course, a psychopath who needs to be in control at all times. And so, as such, he always knew, even though it was a surprise to him. I actually buy his suspicions just because I don't think that Clint Eastwood's character was all that convincing in a lot of different ways. And the fact that, like, Manko doesn't take his escape advice, which leads right into Mortimer's plan and hiding out in this town, is almost, like, somewhat indicative of that. And also, his plan is good, right? Like, we've stolen so much money from this bank. I'm going, and no one knows who the fuck these two guys are, but they did see them around the town because they were stalking me. I'm going to kill both of them and leave them with, like, half the money. That that actually, like, speaks to, I think, like, that's a good plan on his part in general so that they can get away. And also, I think, um, I don't want to say, like, fills plot holes, but does, you know, there is a little bit of suspension of disbelief how readily this uh, uh, suspicious, paranoid lunatic is letting Manko be a part of his plans. And that that makes a lot more sense for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think the fact that you can't quite put a pin on this is that um Manko is a psychopath, right? Like Manko isn't. Or sorry. The reason you can't quite put a pin on this is because El Indio is a psychopath, right? Yeah. Like, is that is, is it's that like, you know, he, he what comes out of his mouth is uh half lie, half machination at all times. And that like I don't know. Was he going to end up shooting Nino down the line if he had en- to ended up taking out his enemies in this turn? Like, fucking maybe. Like, he, uh, th- there's no consistency to him that you can, like, you can really name except for that he will burn everything down at some point, right? So, yeah, there, there's, there's, uh, there is some part of me that's like, was he just curious that, <clears throat> was he just curious about what would happen? Like, was he just keeping, I, I think something that maybe interests me more is, is yeah, like the idea that uh, he was keeping the man with no name around as a uh, a piece of the puzzle that he could use to winnow down his gang in a way that, like, if it went wrong, it, it wouldn't turn back on him. Yeah, and that does feel right to me only because it just seems like he does not seem like this type of person when someone walks into his camp. And says, oh, yeah, well, I'd like to be involved in this, but if not, I'm going to turn you in. That he's giving him that much of a long leash. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like, uh, as I say, is I like, um, I, I like either interpretation, but I particularly just like the idea of um, El Indio, like, being half appraised and just enough appraised that he ends up kill- getting himself killed, right? Yeah. Like. He thinks he has a heads up on all of this, so it makes him cocky, uh, or at least it makes his inner inner arsonist, his inner wolf, cocky. Um, so yeah, yeah, but that turn definitely surprises. Um, you know, he does end up successfully kidnapping and torturing Manko and uh, and uh, Gossamer. Yeah, and um, that's kind of an interesting thing that I mentioned last week. One of my favorite things about these movies is. The moment when it's it is very Bondian. There's a yeah. lot of these movies that's Bondian. I think the opening I, I referenced Bond, but um, the 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 idea that um, shit. What were you talking about? Uh, the movie for a few dollars more. 
uh, about you're talking about Bondian and how uh, he kidnaps uh, Mango oh, yeah, yeah. and, and tries gets close to kidnapping. Yeah, the, the Bond movies don't work as well if Bond comes up on every plot point, fully yeah. appraised and fully powerful. Like there needs to be a moment where Bond is is on the on the cliff face. And what I love about these Leone movies is that like they don't just make Indio come out and be like, haha. I ruined your plan. <laughs> you you thought that you could ju- use this particular project plan for this particular project, but I fucked up your timeline. He's he comes in. He's like, yeah, we're gonna beat the shit out of you until you die, and then maybe I'm gonna use you as a cudgel to fulfill my ultimate fantasy. Like that's that is what's gonna happen here. Um, get used to it, asshole. Because in the last movie, Ramon beat the shit out of him and basically left him for dead. And he was like, let's just keep him alive. And for as long as we can, I want this guy to be beaten to be within an inch of his life. And then finally beyond that. And this, they were like, we're going to do something even worse. I'm going to put you in a fight that you can't win after beating the living hell out of you. And then in a, a good man, the ugly, they also do that. Like, I love the brutality of the plan falling apart because the plan doesn't fall apart plan doesn't just fall apart and all of a sudden the man with no name's like oh guess i gotta shoot y'all like like we're playing a fallout game yeah like when i try and trick people in a fallout game and then oh no i'm bad at stealth (laughs) oh no i'll have to use the rocket launcher that i kept in my back pocket for the past 20 minutes got it i didn't i didn't know he could see me there ah geez you know i'm not gonna redo my save i'm just gonna murder all you got it like it's not that like, the man with no. new name has to be beaten down to the point where it's like, is he going to make it out of this? Like, Leone understands that that's crucially important. And it's something that previous Westerns didn't do. They didn't make us believe that the man with no name could actually lose. They didn't make us believe that the stranger coming into town could actually lose. I never actually believed that. Sh- I love Shane, but I never actually believed that Shane could lose. Or John um, Wayne or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, uh, he, you know, he gets buried up. <laughs> And Gossamer has to come back and save him. Um, I know that I mentioned he got kidnapped. He did not. He he escapes the kidnapping, comes back, but he is pursued and you know kills those people and comes back to save him. And um, I mean, one thing I really like about that and and everything that you just said, and this happens in uh, Fistful of Dollars too, is that like Clint Eastwood is a schemer, but he's super like f- fucking lazy about it. <laughs> Like, he so underplays everything and it's so, like, low-key and chill <laughs> that he sometimes doesn't hatch the most, like, uh, impervious to suspicion schemes. And so he'll just be like, I don't know. That guy called you an asshole. And everyone's like, what? And then, like, they go talk to that guy. And he's like, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's just... It's it's like he's capitalizing on a bunch of rageaholics because he's not that, but and he has like um, you know, a level of coolness and gusto where like, yeah, I don't know, I as far as anyone knows, I don't care if I live or die, so I'm gonna walk into the bad guy's church and tell him everything that I'm doing, and you know, hopefully that impresses him. But like again, it's even when he does the whole thing of like he gets shot in the neck. And he comes back like he hides it. He starts a fight immediately, which, again, seems to work well in the moment. But, like, you know, probably 99 times out of 100, that's going to backfire for being a little bit too too disinterested in in making uh, the 
the psychopathic killer want to keep you alive. Yeah. And speaking of Indio, because he's been largely, you know, focusing our, our thing. Um, apparently, Leone, when he was making this movie, um, he wanted Gia, Gian Maria Volante to, like, um, play it down a little bit. Like, play it a little cooler. And in certain scenes, he does. And in certain scenes, he's, like, a cackling psychopath, right? He used the same trick that Werner Herzog would later use on Klaus Kinski and other actors or other directors would use on Jim Carrey, which is you do a bunch of takes or you do a bunch of run throughs at highest energy possible, or you do exercises to tire out your crazy actor. And Mm -hmm. then when they finally are on the edge of their, you know, that they can't do it again, um, you 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 have them perform and he's like oh my god finally there's so much pathos there's so much feeling there's so much so much honesty out of this performance in this scene and you're like that's because leone probably ran him through the fucking ringer for like a <laughs> while before you get him to like behave it's uh, ironic yeah. that kinski it, i didn't re- i kept looking i was like was kinski a psychopath on this because imagine like kinski and gian maria Volante being an, being a dickhead but Sounds like uh, Gian, Marino, Gian Maria Volante was really the focus of Leone's ire. Let's get to the final gunfight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is kind of this is kind of Leone like this is his final um, sort of uh, uh, money shot. I guess is the expression. Um, this is this is the yeah, if there if there were any trees in this to. if there were any trees in this village they would have exploded with cum. Exactly. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, man. Um, they, 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 rain come from the skies, um, <laughs> like manna. <laughs> well, manna. Oh, it's sure. yeah, it's it's uh, it's yeah, man, man, come. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so we get to this final sequence, and this is the thing that I was talking about: these titans. We finally built up this sequence where, like. Uh, these these forces that are just bigger than than the average man. They've been they've whittled down everybody else. There's a cart full of uh you know there's a cart full of dead bodies that can be traded in in the nearest town for uh for all their bounties. There's a saddle bags full of a bunch of money somewhere. Like somebody is about to be very fucking rich, and all three of these guys kind of want to be it. Uh, but unlike Good Band the Ugly. Um, the difference here is that, um, they play the music box and when the music box, uh, closes out, um, they're supposed to fight and the man with no name interrupts this somewhat by stepping in and basically like, it's, it seems like he's like refereeing this. Yeah. it, 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 he, you know, he'd love to kill Indio to get that money, but like at the end of this, he sort of realizes, um, that's without it being spoken, that uh that uh the, the colonel mortimer is not just here to collect a bounty uh, some happening here also i found this locket there's an easier way to make money than all this yeah. right like uh colonel mortimer doesn't appear to need the money and he seems to be taking this very personally right well so, and he was insistent throughout that he like as they were debating in various scenes like who gets what money and you know eastwood is very much like yeah this doesn't seem fair but like his whole thing has been consistently like i want to be the one that kills el india yes 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 and um <laughs> that's uh and, and eastwood comes in and he facilitates that right like he almost like referees the moment yeah um he also knowing eastwood like el india is not making it out of this no matter what 
Um, well, because either way, he's getting his bounty, but he'll at least let, like, that's what I like about it so much, right? Like, Eastwood understands in the moment that, um, if the man with, uh, the, the man with no black, <laughs> the man in black dies. dress is very colorfully. <laughs> Serape you know, is very Maybe they colorful. shouldn't have man, all right? Maybe they, everything shouldn't start with man. It would be less confusing. Uh, but that, like, him dying is worth it to him, right? In that moment. Now, you're right. Eastwood it wants the $10,000 that he can get from El Indio. So he's not going to let El Indio leave no matter what. He's got the rifle. He's ready to shoot. Um, but he's going to let the duel happen in a way that's fair. So that regardless of the outcome of that duel, that, uh, that he is, he is positioned well to collect on his bounty. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, it's not because he doesn't trust his skills against. <clears throat> it's not that he doesn't trust his skills against El Indio. Like for all we know, it's these 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 two guys, the man in black and the man with no name, are the two fastest guns. And and you know, um, but what's amazing about these movies is that Leone understands that you walk up to a guy and you shoot a guy that you've been wanting to kill the whole movie. That's not drama. Yeah. But this moment where you get to really sit and simmer and the, the Ennio Morricone score builds. And to me, this is like <clears throat> Morricone's best work, I think. It's balanced between like uh, Fistful of Dollars is very simple. And for a few dollars more um, is, is before it gets to the good, bad, the ugly level, which is like way more strings. It's it's. I mean, I love it, obviously, but it's just huge, right? And yeah. this is like, I think, the right balance. Like, it's, it's like a small band versus like a quartet um, versus a orchestra. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I probably prefer Good, the Bad, and the Ugly because I'm basic, but um, this moment, especially in the score, is one of the best overall like musical moments in the trilogy. And, and, and Leone understands that if you build this moment up and you give the audience a moment to like really sit and simmer in the fact that like this is about more than just money. This is a movie entirely about no honor among thieves mm -hmm. up until the final moment when you realize how oh, this isn't about thieves. This is about people trying to scratch out some form of justice in the world. People trying to fi f find some way to live, you know, um, and uh and obviously, uh, the man in black wins, and uh, El Indio is uh, finally put put down. Um, so it's this really powerful, propulsive moment. Um, and uh, there's a moment where man in black and uh, the man with no name have this very sweet sort of like moment of mutual recognition. Like it's very sweet. It's very fatherly. It doesn't read as as gay to me the way the hat scene does. The hat scene is amazing, and it but it feels like flirtatious. Like they're shooting hats off each other's heads, and they're kind of like proving to each other what each person can do. And then it snapshots to them in their house drinking. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that read to me more as like uh, they're athletes, right? Like they 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 basically did a competition um and uh it's a it's a weird competition about <laughs> who can shoot hats the most but like ultimately to them that kind of proved uh prowess at something it's the same thing of like you know in kurosawa movies of like a sparring match between sword masters and stuff like that um so uh, it's not that i'm like against the 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 gay reading specifically but i really like saw it more as like um 
uh, yeah, an athletic competition. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you can read it. That's the nice thing about reading. Um, these, these it's <laughs> fundamental. It's it's fun, demental. Um, it's the nice thing about these movies is that they have a primal sort of like, uh, uh like um, almost biblical quality to them. Like, they feel like stories that are the stories that man has been telling for forever. Even when the plots get crazy complicated, it all boils down to this moment of like. A man seeking revenge against a man who will never understand the pain that he caused, even though he, you know, he reflected on it. And, and a man who's just there for the money. Um, like yeah. It's, it's sort of like a, it's, it's, it's like almost biblical. Well, one, and this, this probably gets into a little bit of my final thoughts, but one of the reasons, like, I really like this movie in the, in the trilogy. And I, you know, I, I do think, and maybe they, I don't know if this is your perception or not, Peter. You can dissuade me of it pretty easily, probably. But I, I do feel like in the, the the Man with No Name trilogy that everyone has a favorite. I do feel like the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is the is the probably the most common choice. Um, and it's my it's my favorite of the three. Um, I feel like A Fistful of Dollars is number two, and I I think this movie has a lot of recognition as a great western. But my guess is that this one kind of has the least amount of people that tend to claim it as 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 their favorite. But one thing I just truly love about it is it's the only one of these movies where where Eastwood's character is essentially not the main character or not really doesn't really have a story that he's a part of. Right. Like. In Fistful of Dollars, he is initially a bystander to two other people's stories, but then he inserts himself in the back third when he decides to uh, to, to, to do an action that is unrelated to his underlying principles as we've as we've learned about him, which is money, right? He he does a moral action that sets him back, and now all of a sudden he is the hero standing against who we've decided is the clear cut villain, as opposed to a uh, 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 almost like a trickster god between two warring families. In this movie, like even though Eastwood has top billing and has so many great moments within it, like at no point does this become Eastwood's story. It is always a story about uh, the uh, the man in black who seems to have some need to not just be a part of this bounty hunt for El Indio. But also be the person that gets to kill him and take him in and, and have that moment. And El Indio, like a psychopath who, has, as we learn, has wreaked havoc for uh, not just the moments that we see him in this movie. And, like, it makes sense that, like, uh, the final scene here is Eastwood as a as a literal bystander, right? He's essentially been the, uh, you know, quasi-active bystander of the movie itself. And now he is the... He's the bystander of the the epic duel that ends not just most Leone westerns, but most spaghetti westerns, and probably to some respect most American westerns as well. So uh, I, I just really like I I get why as a result I think you know if you want to see the Eastwood Leone spaghetti western, this one probably feels less like that to you because it really is never his story at any point throughout this and. But on the same note, I think that that really, as you as you drill down to it and you watch it more times, really lets to fo- lets you to focus on this this idea of this like uh, this 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 vengeance being sought by uh, generally, like you said, not an antihero, but just someone who who is trying to make the world somewhat righter or to have less 
people affected by the same trauma and pain that he was affected by, and then that being uh, that being specifically removing uh, a, a a murderous lunatic who is causing that trauma. So like it really. It really is different than the other than the other two movies in the trilogy in a way that like I I uh, I respect more watching at this time and again I always loved it but I I just see it as so different that I can understand why uh, you know some people really do gravitate towards this one and and I think at the very least it's it's doing something unique within uh, the Leone's uh, Leone's uh, Western spaghetti Western film canon and again it ends on just a just an amazing joke of which we didn't quite talk about where he's counting his his he's counting his his bounties as money like he's like three thousand five thousand he's like i'm missing i'm only adding up to twenty three thousand and someone pops out to try to kill him and of course he doesn't he barely looks to shoot him and goes there's where i left my four thousand dollar like at no point is he even trying to say who these people are. He's like such a locked in bounty hunter that he's like, he's counting them like they were stacks of money. And then of course uh, the man in black comes back and is like, did you get all your money? He's like, yeah, I thought I lost some for a little bit, but it turned up. Um, and again, just a, just a fucking great goddamn joke to end this movie on. Um, I, I really love this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. And I think that like the, the fact that at the end of the movie, like, uh, sure, like, uh, it's fun to see uh, the man with no name wander off with all the money. And I like to think of this man with no name as separate from the other two guys. Yeah. Um, wander off at the end of the money. Like, you feel like he is he has changed and grown in a way that, like, he, I, I don't see at the end of the last movie. Leaves it with a weirdly heartfelt ending for a movie about bastards. And, and so many of these spaghetti western movies are just about bastards. Um, yeah these heartless motherfuckers that just like like uh well this guy is uh you know about 40 percent nicer than this guy so he's the hero of the movie yeah um, well yeah you killed your your friend but now you have access to dynamite to kill more bad guys so i guess that's good yeah yeah i have uh but yeah i i find this movie very charming in a way that like is i'm glad we got to talk about it because like I don't want to end my final thoughts on the movie with, uh, oh, hey, this is like all the spaghetti westerns, but better. Because like I do feel like there's something biblical and deeper here than in a lot Agreed. of spaghetti westerns. I feel like there's something there's something that like uh, speaks to an inner soul. Um, and like this is a movie that like you could actually like use as a um, I wouldn't say a moral tale because that's, you know, even Leone would laugh at that. But like um, it's, it's something that like a. Uh, uh, um, a, a set of like um iconographic titans it's, it's I, I keep coming back to the term biblical because the way that these characters are so singular and they tell you who they are immediately and then you watch these characters bounce off of each other again and again and again um and then it comes down to these primal moments of conflict um is just it speaks to something inside you that like i think especially right now i i can't quite put a finger on it but there's something particularly satisfying in quarantine about like um the epicness of this the particular sparse epicness of this yeah i like the way they show outside yeah that's probably part of the solution is like oh wow i'd love to go hiking there that sounds that looks really pretty oh i never learned to ride a horse i should probably do that one other moment that i forgot to call out that i love is during the bank robbing scene they're you know blowing up the bank or 
blowing up part of the bank and they like um you know they we didn't talk about it much on this episode the kind of cl- close-up long shot uh dichotomy that the leone is so good at doing there's a moment where they're counting down right like they're like five but it keeps cutting to people that are like the face that's counting is taking up half a frame almost exactly and it looks like uh and then you see someone else like in the you know they're in the foreground so goddamn close to the camera that they're taking up again 50 percent of like this you know big aspect ratio um and then there's someone usually in the background who's counting that you keep cutting to around the bank as they count down the explosion and it's so gorgeous and it looks like uh a in-camera split diopter shot it is amazing yeah yeah the 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 timing on that is almost too impressive like whether everyone's counting and you're like how does this all line up though like i imagine dubbing is doing a little bit of the carrying weight but like how does he know that each shot needs to be in this precise order for this to actually still click and have this sort of dramatic impact. Um, and yeah, like the, the, the split diopter shots, you're like, okay, so I understand that you're setting a scene. This is a scene you probably needed a megaphone or walkie talkies to set up properly. And then you needed to think in your head, okay, but they need to perform this action within this particular time window to make sure it fits within the shot. Like that stuff is just makes your head spin. Yeah. It, it's, it's, Truly amazing, but I'm sure we'll be talking more about amazing shots and camera work over the next two movies. Uh, Peter, before we... Uh, obviously, we're doing The Good, The Bad, The Ugly next. Uh, Zach Groton, uh, our first guest on the show, uh, he was the first person I asked to be a part of this month because I know uh, he. the two things that I know Zach loves is uh, Kurosawa and Spaghetti Westerns. And the third thing i know that he loves is seeming disinterested in appearing on the podcast while he's on the podcast so it should make i think generally a very good episode but peter i guess i don't know which are you basic like me is good bad the ugly your favorite out of the the three or even if you expand to the four i i I, right now i feel like for a few dollars more is my favorite but interesting we'll we'll we'll, uh we'll see we'll see i mean um of the four it's definitely once upon a time in the west but oh, the, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that I've, I have I watched a bunch when I was I was first getting into Westerns and like made me cry, but also like I think informed my sensibilities a lot. So it'll be interesting at the end of the month to see where, where I fall on all, all that. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week, like the good, the bad and the ugly didn't just like open up an amazing movie for me. It opened up like our Westerns good. So for like from that from that perspective, it almost has like the Dawn of the Dead, like, oh, wait, our horror movies good moment that I had. I, I don't know if you have to have it with all genres, but I at least had it with those two. Um, so, you know, it, I'm trying to look at these with a little bit more of a, you know, a mind of like, it's fine if Good, Bad and the Ugly is my favorite, but which one do I ultimately? Uh, not that it matters because they're all fucking amazing movies, but I, I am curious if I can remove myself from just all of the nostalgia and love that's packed up into like realizing that this movie unlocked a genre for me um but yeah i i definitely uh it, it good the bad and the ugly is definitely the the front runner for me going into this month but like like we said i mean they are all winners so it's like the opposite of a casino <laughs> and i think he'd appreciate that because that had uh desert cinematography yeah if you think about it casino is really a western 
in that it takes place west of parts most of the country. It's an eastern for you, though, Peter. Uh, yeah, I think of uh, Las Vegas as the Far East. Um, well, you shouldn't. New York is the Far East for you. That's No, that's actually the Far, Far West. I go the other way if I'm going to New York. Makes sense. <laughs> Good night. Good. <laughs> Glad I got sunshine in a bag. I'm useless, but not for long. The future is coming on. I ain't happy. I'm feeling glad I got sunshine in a bag. I'm useless, but not for long. The future is coming on. It's coming on. It's coming on. It's coming on. It's coming on. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. Now, time for me is nothing because I'm Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>